our vision here, as I hope that some of you are becoming more and more aware of, is that it would be in every sphere of Bury as it is in heaven. So the as it is in, on earth as in heaven bit, we get from the Lord's Prayer, don't we? Where Jesus says, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as in heaven. Now, obviously, we want the God's will to be done all across earth, but our little patch really is bury. So for us, that's the in bury as it is in heaven peace. But then there's this other bit that kind of tags on to the beginning, that it would be in every sphere of bury as it is in heaven. And through that, I guess we're highlighting that we don't just want the kingdom of God in the church as it is in heaven and not elsewhere. We don't just want it in our homes, but not elsewhere. We want the kingdom of God to come everywhere in Bury. Yes, geographically, through all the different parts, the different corners of the parish and beyond, but also in terms of every sector of what goes on here, into the businesses, into the natural environment, into the schools, the homes into the places of recreation, into the places that we don't really go to all that often and maybe we need to find out a little more about. God's goodness we want to spread absolutely everywhere. Every place on earth, every sector of society. And so we've put front and centre in that vision that in every sphere of Bury, we want it to be like it already is in heaven. And we've never really, we've kind of taught into that in a general way, but through these next few weeks, we want to really delve into what we mean by that every sphere thing. There are some people who've come up with the kind of different sectors of society and tried to kind of categorize them into a few ways. We've kind of headlined seven different ways, seven different sectors where we think Jesus should be Lord because he is and where we want him and his kingdom to advance in each of those ways. We're going to consider one per week. And today I'll introduce what we're going to focus on in a moment. But we want to use this series, which we're calling Spheres for for reasons that you'll understand, to look through the different areas of Bury, the different sectors that make it up, and to see where the wisdom of God is, if you like, in that area, and where the kingdom of God could advance and grow. There's a brilliant book by a man called Alan Scott. It's called Scattered Servants. And uh, this is a very tattered copy of it. And that's normally a good sign for a book, isn't it? Because it means that I've thumbed through it many times. It's called Scattered Servants by Alan Scott. And the tagline, the little byline says, Unleashing the church to bring life to the city. Unleashing the church to bring life to the city. And in this book, there's a line which I've slightly paraphrased. But he essentially says this. The next great move of God isn't going to be a movement in the church. It's going to be a movement of the church into every sector of society to demonstrate the lordship of Jesus and rewrite the story. The next great move of God, which we all want to see happen, isn't going to be just in the church, making this a bit more fun or a bit fuller or a bit louder or a bit quieter, whatever it is. The next great move of God, this prophetic man says, is going to be a movement of the church from this place into every sector of society to demonstrate there the lordship of Jesus and to rewrite the story that's currently being told, much of which is too heavily influenced by the enemy. He's saying that he wants people to go from here into 
manufacturing and to say over their warehouse, over their plant, over their office, whatever it might be, Jesus is Lord. And then almost to imagine what would it look like for Jesus to be Lord here. And then to work with everything they've got and pray with everything that they've got to see God's kingdom come there as in heaven. Before we dive into the sector that we're going to focus on today, I think there's one key thing to say about, I guess, our attitude towards these spheres. How do we posture ourselves? And it comes, I guess, from John 17. I'm going to read verses 15 and 16 for us, just to help us frame the whole series, really. Jesus is in a long prayer. He's been praying for a couple of chapters already. And this is a famous prayer that he prays for all sorts of things, for unity. And then after this, he's arrested and goes on to die. And in the middle of this prayer, John 17, verse 15, says this. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Now, Jesus is praying for Christians, for his followers, for his disciples. And he's saying, my prayer isn't that you take them out of the world, God. Don't remove them or extract them. But that you would protect them from the evil one. Keep them where they are, but surround them with your protection. They are not of the world. They're not like the world. They're not the same as the world, just like I'm not the same as it. But I don't want you to remove them. I want you to protect them. There's a phrase that's kind of emerged from this verse. In the world, but not of the world. In the world, as in Christians are supposed to be involved and active and a part of what goes on here. But not of the world, conforming to the way it does things. Behaving exactly like it does. Becoming indistinct and just blending in. In the world, active and engaged, but not of the world. Distinct. Looking like Jesus, not conforming to the patterns that have made this world what it is. Jesus' prayer is that we would have the culture of heaven, if you like, so branded into us. So much a part of who we are that we would live full of his Holy Spirit whilst on earth, that we could be in the world but not of it, and actually start to see the world become more like heaven. So that means that first we must saturate ourselves with heaven, fill ourselves with the kingdom of God, dwell regularly, daily in the presence of God. And then from that place of being so steeped, if you like, in God and his goodness, we can approach the world full of heaven, seeing where God's already at work to bring the two into a kind of point of overlap, where heaven starts to come down to earth more and more fully. And where we see God at work, we can join in, add our prayers and our blessing and our thanks, add our words and our invitation, use the influence that we've got in order to bring good. I think we need to take Jesus seriously in what he prayed he prays that we would be protected from evil. And I think it's all too easy for us to see that there is real evil in the world. There are people who are out to bring ruin to others. Someone tried to um, hack our computer this week and 
empty our bank account of all sorts of money. And I spent hours on the phone to the bank making sure that things were cancelled and things were opposed to. Someone that I've never met and will probably never meet is there trying to empty my bank account to fund some lifestyle. That's evil, right? Extorting people out of what they've rightfully earned and trying to use it for your own ends. I guess, in a sense, I'm the, probably not the target uh, of that, in that they're going for people who are less tech-savvy, who probably wouldn't understand what was going on and maybe not respond so quickly. But we all know, don't we, there's real evil in the world. We can't be blasé about that. We have an enemy to all this goodness who is trying to bring us to ruin and destruction. And so Jesus says, don't remove them from the world, God, but please protect them. Please surround them. Please defend them on every side. Protect their minds from evil thoughts and their, their bodies, their homes from evil attack. But when we see evil, we remember God's protection. We remember that we are surrounded by the God of angel armies. That he is the one that owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He is the God who has split the sea before his people and let them walk through on dry land. We don't need to be afraid of evil because our God is stronger. Greater is he that's in us than he who is in the world. Greater is God in us than the enemy that might be ruling at large elsewhere. Jesus, the light of the world is in you, and he isn't extinguished by evil. He's not scared of it. He's not afraid of it because he's better, he's more powerful, he's more brilliant and glorious. And then he goes on to say that you are the light of the world. And where needs the light of the world most than the darkest possible areas of society? The places where Christians haven't tended to go very much. The places that have been left under the influence of the enemy for far too long. There is real evil, but there is more real protection from God. And when his light and his protection is inside of us, surrounding us, we can then approach these places of darkness, not fearful, but excited to see how the light can penetrate the darkness, how the light can bring its goodness to bear in that place. And so all of that affects the posture, I guess, that we have towards society, we don't see society as this thing to be shunned and avoided because it's dirty or tainted or not God. We see society as something to be engaged with as a Christian, full of heaven, filled with the Holy Spirit, protected by God, but then engaged with so that society can look more like heaven. We don't want to go there and just become indistinct and to blur in. We do want to go there to say Jesus is Lord over your area of life too. Jesus is Lord over this sector of society. There's an author called Dane Ortland. You might have read Gentle and Lowly, which is a really popular book. And he says that the cumulative testimony of the four Gospels is that when Jesus Christ sees the fallenness of the world all about him, his deepest impulse his most natural instinct is to move towards that sin and suffering, not away from it. When Jesus sees how broken the world is, he doesn't withdraw, he engages. When Jesus, the father, sees the prodigal son, he doesn't run away because he's been with pigs and eating their food and squandering the wealth. He runs towards to say, let's make it better again. Let's be welcomed home. 
Some Christians have been so keen, I guess, to not be of the world that they've effectively withdrawn from it as much as they've been able. And that can be useful for a time, a kind of retreat, a detox, you might call it in some senses. It can be useful for a time, but then I think if it goes on too long, it starts to not really take Jesus' pattern of life seriously. Jesus could have withdrawn so as not to be tainted by the world, but he didn't need to. Jesus wanted to engage in order to see the world become more like the kingdom of heaven. So when we think about culture and society and all the stuff that we're going to over the next few weeks, when we think about parts of them that are really currently pointed away from God and not doing good, honorable things, the task is to be filled with heaven, to remember the protection of God around us, and then to overflow heaven all over earth. The task is to be filled with the kingdom, with God's spirit, to be filled with heaven and then to overflow that into all the earth. Let me tell you a story about someone who did just that, which will help us to move into the considering the first of our spheres today, which is media and the arts. There was a man who... Um, went to work for Channel 5. I don't know if you remember but those days when new TV stations started and you had to retune your TV in order to get them. I think I just about remember that happening for Channel 5, where you retuned it or turned the aerial or whatever it was, and suddenly you had this whole new show. It wasn't just Channels 1 to 4, 5 existed. And I don't know if you remember kind of the beginning, the early days of Channel 5, but let's put a kind of PG headline over it. There was some quite seedy stuff being put out. There was a lot of stuff that was sexually immoral. There was a lot of improper programming. It was just filled with filth, you might say, and this went out you know, into every home that had a TV. And there was a man, as I've said, who went to work for Channel 5, and this man was a Christian. And he worked in the media, and he got this job with Channel 5, and a load of people said to him, what on earth are you playing at, right? This channel, this pointed in a pretty evil direction you know they're putting out some stuff which Christians shouldn't want anything to do with and he just heard it and acknowledged it and then carried on in his work this man kind of grew in prominence and influence and was respected and had integrity and one day he kind of started to broker this deal between a, a new program and Channel 5 to say, well, we could put you on air on our show and, you know, we've got this much of an audience and wouldn't that be a great idea? And uh, that was between a show called CSI that you might have heard of, Crime Scene Investigation, right? And he brokered the deal that got CSI onto Channel 5. And what I do remember about Channel 5 in the early days is that it was basically CSI for about 12 hours a day. They kind of made a monopoly of it and played Miami CSI and then, I don't know, Florida CSI and then Connecticut CSI. I can't remember them all. That might seem frivolous, but what this guy did was not be put off by the impropriety of Channel 5, the sort of seediness of a lot of its content. He said, well... The light of God's in me, and I'm going to go into this place, and I'm not afraid that I'm going to become all of those things, because Jesus is protecting me. But I know that with my influence, I can turn, actually, a whole TV channel away from that and towards something else. Now, CSI might not be your thing, right? But it's better than all that. And through that, then the minds of people watching weren't filled with some of that filth that it could otherwise have been. 
Now, sure, there are other ways to get there. There are other channels. But in the influence that he had, in the decision that he had before him, he said, Jesus is Lord over this. And this answer is much better than that answer. So as we consider today briefly media and the arts, the first of these sectors of society, we need to first acknowledge that Jesus is Lord over this. Just like he's Lord over the church, Jesus is Lord over media and over the arts. And thinking about media particularly, we need to remember that God is a God who communicates. That's what media is all about, right? Communicating something to someone. However you go about doing it, whether it's radio or printed or YouTube or a podcast or whatever it might be, media is about communication, And we need to remember that God is a God who communicates. So he is for media. Hebrews 1 begins, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. God You could say in the past, God communicated with our ancestors. He engaged in media through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has communicated with us. He's engaged in media through his son, Jesus Christ, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. God is a God who has communicated with us, who continues to communicate with us. And that's the heart of media, isn't it? To take an idea or a story or a belief, an event, a piece of news, and to communicate it in some form with somebody else. Now, of course, this can be used for all sorts of improper ends. It can be Channel 5 in the early days. But we've got to see that the heart of it is a good thing. The heart of the channel, if you like, is a good thing that God wanted to engage with. And yes, it's been distorted, but through God's people and his presence and his spirit, it can be brought back. So if you're engaged in media, if you've got a YouTube channel, I don't know, if you read a newspaper, if you watch YouTube or TV or have engaged in that in any way yourself, big or small, You're doing something which God wants to work through and can work through because he is a God who communicates. Secondly then, God is a God who is for the arts. God is a supremely creative God. None of us, none of this would be there, be here if it wasn't for God. Some of the first people to be filled with the Holy Spirit in Scripture long before Pentecost were Bezalel and Aholiab in Exodus 31, craftsmen who were appointed to work on articles that were going to make up the tabernacle of God, the supreme place of worship. Some of the first people who God fills with his spirit were creatives who engaged in the arts, who sculpted and wove, who painted and whatever else it was. When you read the end of the story, Revelation 21, you see that the heavenly city that John's having this vision of has its foundations in jasper. It's the city of gold and its gates are made of pearls, right? This is a beautiful place. 
crafted and well put together because God is a creative God. He's created far more species of just about everything than we need, right? But he wanted to do it because that's his heart, it's to create, it's to show his joy in what he's created. Creation is, is lavish, it's over the top in many ways because it's from a creative God. And so the arts, in their essence, are a good thing because they echo. They're a little foretaste, if you like, a little snippet of the God who is the ultimate creator. God is for music and design. He's for architecture. He's for plays and films and sculpture and fashion and everything else in that whole industry. Again, of course, these things can be used for ill. They can be pointed towards evil ends, selfish ends, narcissistic ends. But just like they can be pointed towards that, the channel, the means is good, and God wants them to be redeemed so that every bit of art is pointing towards him and his goodness and his truth. Every bit of media is telling good stories, true stories, helping people, to hear what is good and true and will lead them to life in all its fullness. All of these things can be used for darkness, but each of them have massive potential for light. You might say they can all be stuck on earth, but they can all be permeated with heaven. And we're in a creative kind of city, aren't we? media operating out of here, going out to the world. I would love for the church, for the people of God to be involved in, leading in, praying for, even if you're not involved in, what goes out from here to every corner of the earth. Because just like that man that got involved with Channel 5 and turned it in a different direction, it's possible for Jesus to send Christians into these areas to see what then goes on from there, be benefited and blessed by him. So I guess to end, it's a chance to get us thinking really, what would it look like to see Christians seek the kingdom of God in media and the arts? Now this might be what you do every day, all day, and you have a real vision for how this could be. This might be something that you've never thought of. This isn't really you. But just think for a moment, what would it look like for Christians to seek the kingdom of God, to declare that he is supreme in media and the arts, big or small? I've got a few thoughts to throw out briefly. The first, I think, is to seek beauty and excellence in what we do, individually and corporately as a church. There's a church leader called John Tyson in New York, and he says that beauty is a form of resistance against the disorder of the world. Everything around us is kind of chaotic, isn't it? It's being ruined in some sense. And beauty, well put together things well constructed and thought about and done properly is a kind of resistance against the disorder we see we in the creation stories don't we there was uh, the spirit hovering over the face of the earth this sort of cavernous uh, ruinous kind of thing and then the spirit there brings life and order out of this chaos and that's kind of what he's saying beauty and excellence in what we do is a way of resisting the chaos that the enemy wants to bring Secondly, I think, what would it be like for Christians to be in these places where media and the arts are made or 
produced or edited or performed and to be different within them. Oftentimes, this isn't a sector of society that Christians have been particularly called to or sent to. There are other jobs that might be more expected of a Christian, you might say. And that's partly why the man that went to Channel 5 was such a pioneer in that, because he went into an area that not many other Christians were in and said, I'm going to make a difference here. What would it look like to be there and be different? To have a YouTube channel that isn't all about you or to use your social media not just to tell your own stories and let your world become small. What would it be look like to get something from St. Peter's on in the Met or the Art and Sculpture Museum? What would it be like to go front foot, if you like, into these areas for the kingdom of God? I've got a friend who uh, writes songs and um, has made a few albums, different kind of styles, and he once got invited to, uh, I forget the technical term, it's not really my sphere of influence, but be involved in another songwriter, basically. So they would bring him an idea and then he would kind of bounce ideas back with them to say how he could make it better. And he felt this real nudge from God to use that opportunity to, to direct the songs, if you like, in a more godly direction. And he... He said, how many songs is it you hear where the, the main kind of theme is about breakup or cheating or infidelity? And he was like, well, I'm going to start writing a song about how we stayed faithful to each other and pressed through the difficulties and carried on. And he said, you know, I'm not saying Jesus is Lord in, in those words, but I am saying, well, look, there's an alternative. This isn't the only way to go. Every song is telling you this. There is a way to deny some of your own feelings for the sake of another person. It's a little way of someone showing up and saying the kingdom is about faithfulness and honor. It's about loving people and putting others before yourself. How can I use the influence I've got, small as it might seem, to point the world in that direction? I've told this story many times, but I once went to a um, degree show, a kind of ending point for a degree of a friend who went to an arts university in London. My studies were always like essay-based, so all you ever had to prove was an essay. He got to put together these amazing exhibitions, and people could come and obviously mark them and assess him, but friends and family could come and watch them. And he did this amazing bit of art where he played videos, um, played messages for family members that were strange throughout the world. So a son who's on a different continent that would send a video message to a mum and then he would watch them hearing it for the first time. Amazing thing, immersive. And just next to his um, exhibition piece, I don't know what the right word is, was this other one, which was uh, these three boards in a kind of triangle shape, quite tall. And there were on them these huge printed pictures of areas that had been ravaged by earthquake or natural disaster. So there was just pictures of like rubble and ruins, basically. You know, when there's still all the emergency services kind of trying to pull people out, kind of chaos and destruction and devastation, printed massive. It was quite affronting to kind of look at, the kind of thing that you might want to turn your eyes away from when you see it, unfortunately. But what the friend of his had done was over the top of that picture they'd put a piece of clear perspex and they'd obviously gone back to look at maps or pictures from before the devastation and they'd etched into the perspex the original design of the building or the city or whatever it was in that instance 
And so behind, you had the picture of the ruin. And in front of it, faint, sometimes catching the light, sometimes not. You got the etchings of the original design, the original intent. And looking at that, ever since, I've been thinking about, well, isn't that the job of the Christian, right? To see not just the ruins of the world, the people whose lives are turned to evil ends, the the destruction, if you like, the sin, the death, the decay. Not just to see that, but over the top of that, to see what's God's design for this. What might God want to bring out of the ruins of Bury? What might God want to bring out of media and the arts that's currently turned in this direction where fame and celebrity is everything and Jesus doesn't seem to get much of a look in? What would God want to do? And it's almost like he invites you to get out your scalpel or whatever it was and etch over the top of that with your prayers, with your example, with your action, with your vision. What's the better story for this thing? What's the better story for my family? What's the better story for my workplace? What's the better story for my relationship with myself? And as you etch over it, it gives you a vision to work towards. Yes, it's not there completely yet, but it's a bit closer than it was before, and it gives you something to work towards and pray towards. I tell that story partly because I think it makes the point of the series quite well. What we're trying to do is to see how these sectors of society are currently but to dream and to invite God to inform our dreaming about what the etching over the top of the ruins might look like in these different sectors. I also tell that story because all of that that I've been preaching for years ever since came as a result of some art. It didn't come from an essay. It didn't come from text. It came from something evocative, from something full of imagination and wonder and creativity. These things can tell deeper stories, can unlock things that text and music will never be able to. Medium in the arts is something God is for and wants his children, his friends, to work with him in. So where that applies to you, where you're involved in this, be encouraged and affirmed by the church to do what you do distinctly as a Christian to do what you do, to see the kingdom come there as in heaven, just as your brothers and sisters will primarily pursue it in other areas of society. And where this isn't you, and primarily this isn't really me, know that there are people out there. Pray for them, support them, because there aren't as many as there should be Christians that are engaged in this stuff, Christians who are on the front line in this area. Pray for those people that you know, support them, But use the influence you have, even if it's just an Instagram account with not that many followers. It's still a place where you're able to say, is Jesus Lord over this or is he not? And if he is, hint, he is, how does that make a difference in what I post or how I engage? Maybe it's more than that. Maybe it's less than that. But whatever influence you have, use it for the goodness of God. Use it to demonstrate his lordship over that sector of society just as much as any other.